into the 12 o'clock hour. I, I decided he was in my restaurant. I, they didn't give him menus. I thought, I have to, right? I abs- I have, you're with me on this, right? I have to. You can't make, just in case he wants a menu. It's not Braille. I know he can't read it, but I just had to. One of many stories. If, you're, if you were a waiter, you worked in a restaurant, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are stories. Derek Taylor, Toronto. Today it is noon. Thanks so much for being with us. TSN 1050, also streaming at tsn1050.ca, the iHeartRadio app, the TSN app. There are any number of ways you can listen to us. However you're with us, thank you so much. Very much appreciated. Lease Busters is a big sponsor and a big part of our show. Lease Busters will get you out of your car lease today, and it is as easy as pie. A piece of cake. Avoid penalties and early termination fees. Visit leasebusters.com. Can I get a piece of pie or piece of cake in here? Is anybody is anybody behind the glass in charge of getting me pie and or cake? We were able to do that during Leafs lunch. Uh, I don't know if Toronto today comes with lunch, but we'll see what we can do. Maybe Toronto snacks. Is it is it because I'm clearly not Andy Petrillo? That or, does not help Mark your Rowe. case. Yes, that yeah. doesn't. No, Mark Rowe had to fight for it. Okay, but, it's I get it. All right, Andy gets desserts. I get uh, I get shunned and, and laughed at, and that's and that's uh, the story of my life. Pull a TSN 1050 radio hypothetical Tuesday. This producer Joe with a good one here. Which crazy Toronto summer sports move could actually happen? These are your four options: Kawhi Leonard to the Raptors, Terrell Owens traded to the Argos. He wants to play in the CFL. Traded to the Argos potential. Marcus Stroman traded the hell out of here. Or the Jays re-signed Josh Donaldson. Which crazy Toronto summer sports move could actually happen? Terrell Owens continuing to be an interesting cat. Going to the Hall of Fame. Felt he should have been the first ballot Hall of Fame. He should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. Come on. More than 15,000 receiving yards. I get he's. I get people don't like him. I get it. He was unbelievable on the field. And he told us about it all the time. Should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I imagine if you sat down and compiled a list of guys who should have been first-time Hall of Famers, there's going to be so many of them. Whatever the voters do, oh, this guy doesn't deserve a first ballot. Oh, Ty Cobb only got 97% of the vote, so he can't be, he can't be, whatever inane reason you use, he should have been, he's not going to his Hall of Famer, he's going somewhere else. He's going to come to the CFL. The Eskimos have him on their negotiation list. He said, I'm, I'm activating that. You have 10 days to sign me. I swear to goodness, if he plays in the CFL, pretend he gets traded to the Argos. The first time he scores a touchdown at BMO, he's going to run over to the goalpost, and from the pad, he's going to pull out his Pro Football Hall of Fame jacket and put it on. Because that is Terrell Owens. He's going to do it. He just wants to rub it in. He wants to play football. Does he want to play in the NFL again? Does he really want to play in the CFL? Or is this all just maneuvering? Our football analyst, Davis Sanchez, coming up a little later this hour. He's got some inside information, perhaps. He, in fact, played against Terrell Owens. Davis, a couple of years with the San Diego Superchargers, played against Terrell Owens. I don't know how much he, he covered him. Davis, you know, the plucky Canadian going down there to make his name, make his bucks. 
how many times he got to run against Terrell Owens, how many passes defended, interceptions, what perhaps curse words Owens favored on the field. We'll get some of that from him at 1220. Uh, Davis and I also talking several other football topics as well. as plenty going on in the uh, NFL. We are one day away from Baltimore Ravens training camp, two days away from Chicago training camp. Curious what it's like in the, the final days in advance of camp, how the nerves are, guys trying to make their impressions. Uh, and also, Davis and I were batting around last night. What athlete has vomited up the most money, just be it bad luck or bad play or whatever it was, but was due an incredible sum of money but lost it from their calf injury or because they were Jose Bautista or because they were five foot ten, unable to defend, hurt their hip, and LeBron did not like playing with him. So Davis and I are going to bat around a bunch of stuff at 12.05. The crazy Toronto summer sports move that I honestly... I'm not plugged in like our Josh Lewinberg, but I would love to see happen. Certainly not plugged in like Brian Windhorst of ESPN, who on the Low Post podcast said he thinks Toronto is the front runner, and essentially saying that he's he's the one left. They're the team left because L.A. spent its its money. Philly has spent its cap money. We have the the clip from the Low Post of uh, Zach Lowe and Brian Windhorst talking about because Zach Lowe's been on this for a while. That Kawhi to the Raptors is a real thing. Let's take a little uh, little listen to the low post. Give me okay, one team. team. Go ahead. Uh, Toronto Raptors. Um, I think they're in the driver's seat for Kawhi because I think the Lakers have given up, the Sixers have given up, and with the Nets, Bulls, and Hawks spending their cap space, it makes it harder to assemble. Uh, a, a, a multi-team trade. I think the Raptors are in the driver's seat. And I want to know, what would your offer be if you were Masai? Uh, we probably don't have time to get into it. I will say this. Um, I, guess I, I, I guess I would offer DeRozan, Siakam, and at least one first-round pick. And I, and I will say, I've seen a lot of snark on Twitter that the Raptors stuff is a joke, that the odds went up because of something I said on my podcast and you said on TV. Uh, I've seen it being dismissed. It may not happen. Most NBA trades don't happen. But if you think there, if you think it's a joke, you should probably recalibrate your expectations. And with that, Brian Windhorst, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, Zach. OG Ananobi's got to be in the deal. OG does have to be in the deal if you're San Antonio. Josh Lewinberg, TSN 1050's Raptors reporter, joins us on the line. Uh, Josh, are you with me? The Low Post podcast, if you're an NBA fan, is an absolute must listen. Yes. Oh, it's great. And I don't care a lick about the Bulls, but I was listening the first uh, three quarters of that was about Chicago, and I listened to the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's yeah. great stuff. Nick, Fr- Nick Friedel, right? I, I, yeah. I can't get enough Larry Markin and talk because, man, I loved him in Arizona. And, yeah, the first, what he was the earliest rookie to hit 100 threes in the NBA. Just watching seven-foot finish guys do stuff is, is fantastic. What do you? I have a particular reason why I am certain Kawhi Leonard would love living in Toronto. What What do you think? What's your impression? You You heard what uh, You heard what Brian Windhorst said. What's your impression of Toronto and getting Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, well, I think what makes the Raptors a really interesting suitor in this mix is they're probably the only team that could conceivably offer San Antonio an established. All-Star. Now, that doesn't do the Spurs any good if they decide to rebuild. If they do decide to rebuild, I think the Raptors don't have a chance, right? Because 
other teams can probably offer better prospects and better picks. But if they do want to remain competitive, and it does seem like they want to remain competitive. I mean, they were a playoff team last year without Kawhi. Uh, Pop probably has a couple of years left before he uh, retires, and they still have LaMarcus Aldridge. So they could still be a good team, a playoff team in the Western Conference. If that's their motivation, the Raptors have DeMar DeRozan that they could and probably would have to offer. And that's why I say any deal between the Raptors and the Spurs would almost have to include DeRozan, right? I mean, yeah. you've got Lowry. Or Lowry, or, but who, who nah, wants I mean, Lowry at that money? Right, and the Spurs certainly didn't want Lowry at that money or even less last year. They showed no interest in Lowry on the open market as a free agent last summer, and that was despite Lowry's admitted interest in them. Uh, now he's a year older and attached to a $30 million a year price tag. So I, I can't imagine that their stance on Lowry has changed. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas isn't enough to center a deal around. Remember, this is a guy that had no value that the Raptors couldn't give away last summer. And while I'm sure his value is a little bit higher this summer, let's face it, you're not going to, the Spurs aren't trading for a package that centers around Jonas Valanciunas. No. And for those asking about Serge Ibaka, He's got less than zero trade value right now. The Raptors would have to attach a draft pick in order to get anyone to even take his salary. So yeah. you have to uh, let and, that flame burn out on its own. It just it's got to go. It's yeah. right. Let and me. You would, so, so you need one of those four guys to even make the salary work, and DeRozan's the only guy that makes sense. So any deal would have to start with Demar Derozan. So Zach proposed Demar Siakam uh, and at least one first round pick. I'm not sure that's enough, but I, I want you to to do this exercise with me. Uh, I want you to. Uh, in a trade from the Raptors, I want you to rank the attractiveness of these potential prospects. Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, DeLon Wright, Jakob Pertle, and I know he can't be dealt till January, but Fred Van Vliet. Which of those, from, from say, one to five, is most attractive to the Spurs, do you think? One, without question, OG Ananobi. Two, without question, Pascal Siakam. And then after that, you can probably argue the other three I mean, if, if we're including Van Vliet, maybe it's Fred, just based on how valuable he was last year. DeLon would be up there as well, I would think, uh, but his situation a, a little bit different because he's entering the final year of his contract, so at some point, very soon, somebody is going to have to pay him. Uh, and then probably Jakob Pertl. Um, it, it, it's interesting because we've agreed so far, I think, on one thing. DeMar DeRozan would almost have to be included. After that, things get very complicated because, let's face it, the Spurs aren't trading Kawhi Leonard for DeMar DeRozan. There would have to be quite a bit of other things included to sweeten this package and make it interesting for the Spurs, and I think that's where things get challenging. That's where most trades get challenging, obviously, is finding a price that works for both sides, but it's especially difficult, I think, in this case, given how many red flags there are around Kawhi and essentially how much uncertainty is surrounding the player with his health and with his contract situation. So for the Spurs, going back to your original question, and what would they ask for? I mean, I really think they're asking for the kitchen sink here. I think they're asking for DeMar. I think they're asking for OG. I think they're probably also asking for Siakam and probably a couple of picks, and that obviously is ridiculous. So if I'm the Raptors, I would probably be okay with something in the neighborhood of DeRozan, 
DeLon, Jakob Pertl, and one pick. I think the two sticking points probably are OG Ananobi. The Spurs want him. The Raptors want to keep him. And maybe that's something that's holding things back here. And another thing I'll mention is picks. The Spurs probably want multiple picks, and if you're the Raptors, you're you're probably cool with giving up your 2019 pick. The Raptors are going to be good this year anyways. Anything after that is super risky because yes. most of their contracts come off the book books in the summer of 2020. Uh, Kawhi could actually leave a year o- earlier if you trade for him. So those might be very valuable picks. Anything after 2019 pick-wise, the Raptors give up would have to be heavily protected or they're setting themselves up for what could be a, a, a huge letdown with one of those situations where you've got a really good pick owed to somebody at a time in which you're rebuilding and desperately need it. Brooklyn Nets, anybody? Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they absorb all the bad contracts, right? They're, Sean Marks is killing it in Brooklyn, getting, gr- getting great players and bad contracts because, hey, we're going to stink for a while. But eventually, we're going to explode. Josh Lewenberg, our Raptors reporter. I think Toronto is perfect for Kawhi Leonard. Evaluate my theory toward this, if you would, please. Use all your expertise. You've seen the Raptors all season long. You've seen them for multiple seasons. You know their perception in the NBA and in North America. I think Kawhi to Toronto is perfect for this reason. Because ESPN does not care about the Toronto Raptors And Kawhi Leonard does not care one bit about publicity. He doesn't talk to the media. His Jordan brand shoe, they're like, can you do some PR? He doesn't even answer the question. He doesn't pick up the phone. He does not talk to anybody. He likes being by himself, I guess. He likes not not speaking he likes being he likes just you know going about his business being a superstar player and not doing any of this off the court stuff that you know makes clay such a dynamo in china and i think in toronto you could you could hide from the nba world in toronto to me perfect fit for that reason evaluate that theory josh lundberg it's a very good point and one i haven't thought of and maybe he is a guy that could come here and, and wouldn't really care about the fact that the American media doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to the Raptors most of the time. In fact, uh, that's the reason why I thought he was a perfect fit in San Antonio for so many years. And maybe one of the reasons why I, I was so surprised when things started to go south there. But let's, let's face it, from a basketball perspective, Kawhi fits, if healthy, on 30 teams in the NBA. And he's one of the few guys that I can say that about. Because for, for most players, yeah, I mean, it comes down to fit and opportunity and all of that. Kawhi is a legitimate superstar. He's a top five talent in the NBA when he's healthy. And the Raptors have never had a top five player in the NBA. They, even during his peak, was not a top five player in the NBA. So this would be huge. This would be big for them. Um, and again, if healthy, I keep saying it because it's a big yeah, if. Yeah, 100%. But he's, a, he's a guy that, oh. he's a game changer. He, he moves the needle in a way that DeMar DeRozan, and I, I think the world of DeMar DeRozan as a player and what he's turned himself into, it, it's, it's night and day. DeRozan is an elite offensive player. He might be one of the worst defensive players in the NBA, whereas Kawhi might be the best two-way player in the NBA, a guy just as valuable as DeRozan offensively, yeah. if for no other reason than because he's added the three ball. And defensively, there aren't 
many, if any, wings in the NBA that can oh, do what Kawhi does defensively. As Zach Lowe said on a previous podcast, he might end his career as the best defensive wing player ever. Yep. And when you think of that, it's it's amazing. Josh, I can't wait to see where this goes. Whatever whatever you have, whatever whatever you can do to get me Kawhi Leonard on the Raptors, uh, I, I got nothing but hugs and love. Whatever you can do, man. I'll do what I can. Thanks, DT. Josh Lewenberg, very much appreciated. Our TSN 1050 Raptors reporter, Kawhi Leonard. The Raptors are frontrunner to get him, according to ESPN's Brian Windhorst. We'll talk about that. Plenty more. All sorts of football talk coming up with former NFLer and three-time Grey Cup champion and all-around debonair handsome man, Davis Sanchez. That's coming up on Toronto Today. 1221 on Toronto Today. When you walk in to the TSN 1050 studio rocking a Canali suit... Not even bought on sale. Full price. <laughs> the man pays full price. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming there's... Come on. You're, you're wise with your buddy. You pay discounts. Come on. I'll figure out how you know what kind of suit I have. You, you tell me, brother. Right, you on. tell now me now what you, suit. You I wear Canali. Now you put me on blast. <laughs> wow. Wow. I can wow. afford Canali. Uh, you know what? Someone else pays for my clothes and has for a long time. That, if you... Uh, just if you can ever get somebody to pay for your clothes, it's the greatest thing ever because you don't feel any remorse. If I had to go in and buy a suit for eight hundred bucks, I'd yep. feel I'd be like, man, I'm tight with my money. But now someone else pays for it. That's all good. Davis Sanchez, our football analyst, he does the NFL, he does the CFL. He's a he played two seasons in San Diego with the Superchargers. He's a three-time Grey Cup champion. We like to say he's a four-time All Star. As a numbers guy, that kind of bothers me a little bit, but it's a four-time All-Star. <laughs> we say it. How are you, my friend? I'm awesome. I couldn't get through security, though. That was, uh, you know, all those ac- those nice accolades, uh, great, DT, but I couldn't get me past the TSN gates. So, didn't Wasn't it Joey Votto last week who couldn't get through security as well at a baseball game? He's like, I'm, a, I'm, a uh, I'm the yeah. MVP. He's like, no, yeah. Yeah. no, I don't know who you are. Terrell Owens wants to play in the CFL, apparently. Edmonton had them on his negotiation list. He said, sign me. Edmonton has 10 days to sign him to a contract. Will Terrell Owens play in the CFL, do you think? He will. I believe. Really? Yeah. At 44? I believe. Hasn't played since yeah. 2010? Why, why so convinced? Because he puts butts in the seats. That's, at the end of the day, there's, there are teams in this league who could use a boost from a guy like T.O. Now, he'll play in the league. He'll, he won't have success in the league, but he'll play in the league. So I, I don't, and I don't know for how long. The Eskimos have his rights, and that's the last place. If I look around the nine teams in the CFL, the last place. Actually, you know what? The best place for him, as for us as fans, that to watch, to watch this explode and it just be great TV, is put him in Edmonton. Put him with Jason Moss. Right and watch and watch them collide. Put him with put him with Mike, Mike. Riley. It's, oh yeah, it's, that's not going to happen. I'm pretty certain. If it does, it'd be great. What? Great television. Why do you say it's not going to happen? They own his rights. They're yeah. the only one. If they offer him even the minimum of contracts, he's bound to them for a year. Why do you say it's not going to happen? I think they put him on. They put him on a negotiation list because they they felt that some that he was going to come. They must have got wind that he wanted to come to the Canadian Football League. They took him as an asset. So he is an asset because, like I said, teams will take him. The, the Eskimo way, the way they do things in Edmonton, they don't usually go that route. Like, you know, Toronto might look at something like that historically. Jim Pop likes, you know, the NFL guys. He doesn't mind bringing those characters in. Uh, Chris Jones. Loves. Yeah, those guys do it. But the Eskimo way, per se, is not that way. And then also, I mean, Jason Moss is the, you know, you look at him. He doesn't want to do live mics. He doesn't, 
he doesn't want to do he's not the kind of guy that wants that attention of T.O. Uh, so it won't happen but hey I hope it does because I'll be the first one you talk about get the popcorn ready I'll have my popcorn ready watching if T.O. is going to come and, uh, and play on any team but in particular the Edmonton Eskimos Jason Moss did not say three words during that live mic game Mike Riley was, was great but he didn't say anything yeah, no. you're so right on plus they are loaded at receivers so they so if it's not Edmonton what's a fit for T.O. then the places that need need to boost their fan base, Montreal is the one that sticks out for me, and that's the that's a place where you know a, a big city, you know the smaller CFL cities, uh, I don't think need it as much or crave it as much, but you know the fan base in Toronto, in Vancouver, in Montreal, those places people come out to CTO, so I think that's the the number one place I think is Montreal, possibly Ottawa. He is friends with Kyrie Bear. That's a well-known fact. Okay, I'm sure Kyrie is, is pushing. He was at Kyrie's wedding um, in the summer in, in Montreal that was actually held at Molson Stadium on the field. That's right. Yeah, so uh, there's a connection there. I'm sure they're going to I'm sure Kyrie's is pushing that. So uh, it's a, that's a fit. But I'll tell you this. In the YouTube video DTU side is people ask did he run a four four five? Right. That's the that's the question. The stopwatches were out. It was like his birthday or whatever, and he's I'm sure. running the forty on my birthday. Right. It was a four four on my forty fourth. That's what it was. Four four on a something like that. Yeah. So he probably ran a four four if it was his uncle and his brother who were clocking it and timing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's no chance he ran that time. It just it isn't. He didn't. But the reality is, no, he, there's no chance he did. Do you but, think, uh, my thought was it's like 36 yards and they just shot it from yes, way back 100%. so you, could, you can fake it. There's yeah. so many ways that you can <laughs> yeah. finagle that. Uh, trust me, I've tried it. It's uh, as, a, as, a slow, as a slow guy myself. But no, he, uh, he didn't run that. But the reality is uh, at 6'3", to look at the positive side of what he can bring to the table. He is a 6'3", 225-pound guy. He's still in good shape. He's a big body. Uh, that's that's trying to find some some positive. Uh, he'd be tough to handle in the slot because of that the matchup problem with his size. Um, if he takes one hit, it's going to be ugly at 44. He is good size. David Sanchez, our football analyst, with us. He is good size, and he appears to be in tremendous like one percent shape, top one percent shape of 44 year old men. <laughs> but let's. Would you rather have him or Edmonton current superstar Duke Williams? That's not even a question. Who is like 25 and 6'3 and cut down to 225 this season and is a, a monster. There's the easiest way for me to look at this when people say, well, you know, he's done what he's done, give him a chance, whatever it may be, uh, give him an opportunity, see what he can do. Yeah. Is that every CFL team, you know, uh, two months ago when they cut down their rosters, they cut, you know, two, three guys that have the same body type or can do the same things yeah. that T.O. could do five years, seven years ago. Eight so, years? He didn't play yeah. it since 2010 so in Cincinnati. It, every roster is crazy. And, and he also doesn't know the system. He has no... If it, Another positive about T.O. would be that he has a wealth of football experience. So that, that's a benefit. I mean, he knows, he knows the game. Yeah. He knows the intricacies of, of getting off, of running, running routes, and, and doing what he does. But he doesn't know the CFL game. So that's, a, that's another negative. So... I don't. It's strictly, it's strictly a promo thing. What's the first thing to go? You're you're a year younger than To. What's yeah. what's the first thing to go? What could you not get back if you trained your butt off? Yeah. What could you not get back that you had when you were in the NFL when you were a CFL star? It's got to be your fat, the fast twitch. So the fast twitch muscle. I know even for me, I played till I was 36, and I, and about 34, 
it really it just hit me in the head where I could still see things that I'll backpedal and that I'll break on a route, and I just was always a step slow. And you just can't you just can't get there. So yeah. it'd be the same for him. He can run those times all he wants, but he's always going to be a step slow. And DT, think of it like this: the hits. I mean, that's what Milt always says, right? Takes, I could play. Hits. I could play if if they yeah. promised nobody would hit me. He's not going to get up if he gets if he gets continuously hit. Wow, I, he, there's no way he'd play more than two games in a row without this. He might be able to get through a game. He's well, not playing a couple. That might be why he wants to play in Ottawa, right? Because no Kyrus of Bear headshots flying across the middle off the top rope to give you a concussion. Yeah. Oh, Kyrus a Bear, uh, it would be amazing. Just throwing this out there. Uh, because not, you know, people who aren't huge CFL fans will will say, well, "Just let's let's do it. Make some trades. Johnny Manziel to Toronto, Terrell Owens to Toronto. The whole American media just loses its brain and is in Toronto full time for the rest of the year. <laughs> the probability on that. Let's go at a. Would you bet on that at a plus two thousand? No. Okay. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. Davis Sanchez, our football analyst. It's uh, 12.30. we got a few more minutes. I want to ask you, because we are one day away from Baltimore opening training camp and two days away from Chicago opening training camp, because it's always football season. It's fantastic. Uh. It's always football season. What are these days like? Like the, You know training camp is two days away. What, what are these like for you? What was it like for you when you were in San Diego? Well, this you know, you're right. It's always football season. NFL NFL season is 11 months for the guys, so you really you get one month off. So this was it was this last month. So I think for the, for me, this will be the time that you're I think two days to go. You're just you're laying in your bed, you're laying on your couch, and you're just trying to rest your body as much as you can. And that's NFL training camp will crack uh, the strongest man. Like it's it's a it's nothing to play with. It's it's a, you know six seven weeks long. It's um, 12 hour days. If you're not, when you're in NFL camp, when you're not in on the field, you're in a meeting. When you're not in a meeting, you're getting treatment. So I know for me, I would finish my day. We'd have, you know, dinner would be at six, let's say. And then you'd be, this is starting at 6 a.m. You go through your day, your first practice, sec, second practice. You're finished at six after you've had two practices, uh. meetings, a workout, and you finish dinner at six. Then you go to another meeting to install for the next day. You get at that meeting about 8.30. They have a snack for you at, at 9 over at the mess hall. You go over there and, and you grab a snack, and then you got to be up again at 6 the next day for a meeting. So it's, it's long days. You don't have – if you get a time for an hour nap somewhere, you're in, you're in good shape. So that's, you think about that, DT. You're doing that for six, seven weeks straight of, yeah. of having an hour to yourself but then adding the physical gruel, grueling grind to that, it's, uh, it's nothing to play with. Well, and, and dudes, I mean, you went down there. You wanted to earn a job. You hadn't, well, I don't know if these guys know me. I'm Canadian. Sure, I went to Oregon. Maybe, maybe they remember me. But you had a point to make. You're like, I want to be on this team. And there are guys like that that I assume go 150% at every second and try to blow you out of your cleats. And those guys must be annoying as hell when it's 100 degrees outside. I think that when goes, it's fifty, yeah, when it's any would, temperature, yeah, that would go more for the guys playing playing inside. You know, for for us outside playing DB receivers, we're just running, and, and that's you know you gotta, smart guys. Yeah, smart guys. But you know, whenever there's that kind of money available, whatever whatever profession you're in, you're going to be, uh, you know, what, what was the what did you say? Blowing your blowing your something out, but, out of your, uh, yeah, blowing you out of your cleats is, or whatever. It is yeah. what it is. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot at stake, and and uh, and so you know, guys are doing whatever, but it's a uh, it's a grind. I don't feel for them guys right now. This is uh, 
they're entering into a tough, tough deal. I just I was trying to do the the math in my head. The first CFL, pardon me, the first NFL camp you would have went to, uh, and I had to Google it up was the same year of Corey Stringer. Oh, which okay, yeah. NFL right. and if you don't know the Corey Stringer story because it was 2001 just world otherworldly offensive lineman in Minnesota uh too much heat at training camp too little right. concern for the players and he died. Yeah. And so training camp I mean I've not been to an NFL training camp either before or after that but it had to come an incredibly long way since then, well, they made adjustments that I do remember that, that once that happened with Corey, that they actually made adjustments right in the middle of camps to, yeah. you know, or whatever. Moving forward from that time was obviously um, something that, that came up and they had to, to do things about it. And I think they're a lot more informed now with the medical teams and, <laughs> and in conjunction with the, with the players and the coaches to make sure the guys are um, hydrated and taken care of. When you were in high school, because when I was in high school, water was for wimps. Wow. Can you remember that? <laughs> like we were, we were past. Like when you see movies of football from the '60s, oh, take a salt tablet; it'll fix. Okay, we weren't that, but water was for wimps. I played high school football in '91, '92, and it wasn't any good. But water was for wimps. Yeah, I definitely, have, I've definitely heard it before. Where you, where you it's, hear yeah, in high school, you might have heard that. But I think I hope I hope most places are, are past that now. DT, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that once you get sued because an all-pro player dies on your field because you didn't take care of them, yeah, I'm going to say that that they did. Uh, 12.33, before I let you go, uh, I'm going to have to ask you about uh, Dexter McCluster as the big name coming to the Toronto Argos uh, in the NFL. Last played in the NFL in 2016. At five foot six and uh, a body frame like a couple of other Argos, where do you think he's going to be the most effective if he sticks? He'll be a guy they can use in, in a lot of different situations. Tresp does like to use, kind of like Anthony Coombs does. He runs those speed sweeps, reverses. He'll play special teams. If he's, there's a lot of guys that are, that have the juice that Dexter McCluster has. Uh, he's elite, elite. If he still has that, he can be a special guy because he's he's special. And uh, so we'll see on that big open field with all the things that he can do. Getting the thing is, Mark will want to get him the ball in space. And if you can get him a guy with that freakish quickness, what he has um, in space, he could do damage. It'd be fun to watch, for sure. If you can, the difference between a, a five foot six, 175-pound NFL player and a five foot six, 175-pound CFL player, what's, what's different between those two? Uh, definitely the CFL guy is going to have more, well, there's not going to have more room to work. He obviously has more room to work, but I think you could, at, at that size in the NFL, you're going to get, you're not going to have that much room to work. If you, get, stood, if you stood them side by side on the CFL field, what's the difference in athleticism between the CFL guy, same size as the NFL, legit NFL? Because McCluster, legit NFL talent at one point. For him, to, for him to make an NFL roster at that size and that weight, more importantly, too, he has to be. In that you know 0.5 percent of freak athletes, because you just there's not enough room for you to move to get out in the open space yeah. as as a, a speed guy. Where in the CFL, there's guys like that on every team because of the open space. So for him, that's a that's a telltale for Argos fans or anyone excited about him to realize that he was a draft pick NFL at his size and stuck around there for a bit. That tells you just how special he is athletically. Well, and then it's, it's Jim Pop and Mark Tressman going to get him and not Chris Jones with any random guy who once played in the NFL or yeah. you know, you know, played in the NFL 45 pounds ago. They, the Riders take anybody. I think, I, I think and pray and hope that Jim Pop's been a little more discerning because the Argos could use a little boost at, uh, at wide receiver. It'll be fun to watch. Oh, I, I, I pray it comes through.
Davis Sanchez, you're a good man. Thanks for popping. If you want to talk some golf, you can stick around for another 20 minutes. But My you, game is terrible. you got some work to do. Davis Sanchez, our football analyst, says T.O. is coming. And he thinks maybe Ottawa is the place that, that he will end up. Very interesting to talk about that. Mark Zacchino, host of Golf Talk Canada. We're going to talk Carnusty, Carnasty, if you're nasty. Coming up on Toronto Today. 12.42 on Toronto Today. Le'Veon Bell did not get a contract done in Pittsburgh, so he will play to some degree under his franchise tag. That'll pay him $14.5 million. We'd heard yesterday maybe he'll only play eight games, just do what he had to to get a new deal. According to NFL.com, the Steelers made a pretty nice final offer to him for five years and $70 million, $14 million a season. There was only 33 of that guaranteed, according to Ian Rappaport. Apparently that was not enough. So Bell's agent says, hey, you know what? It's probably the last year he plays in Pittsburgh. He'll be, what, 27 next season in a league that does not want running backs? Unless it's the Giants who think that taking a running back at two is a great idea. All of the analytics will tell you running backs are less and less and less important. Less important than tight ends, slot receivers, wide receivers. Don't don't give it to running backs. Unless they can catch the ball, running backs are Im- just amazingly replaceable. Now, Le'Veon Bell, a special case, more than 80 catches last season. Ran the ball a ton, but, man, if you, if you get 400 touches, 350 touches, 300 touches in Pittsburgh this season without long-term money, are you going to look back and go, oh, no, I, I passed up 5 and 70? When you think of all the money that's been lost by guys, just it's it's something that fascinates me, and I've been been trying to think about who's lost the lo- the most money. Like Isaiah Thomas of the free agent Los Angeles Lakers, how much money that he was never going to get the supermax. He was probably never going to get the max because he's just a turnstile defensively. But people figured, hey, five years minimum like 100 let's just say minimum 100 million just for a nice round number now he works on a one year minimum deal that dude lost a lot of money Josh Donaldson not having two healthy calves lost a lot of money what's what's Donaldson out 75 million dollars he will never get the value that he provided to the Jays and it's just bad luck and you wonder if Le'Veon Bell is by if, if this is a real report, five years, $70 million, passing that up to play one year, $14.5 million. Quick math, $70 million is 55 more than what you're playing for, and 33 guaranteed is you know, 18.5 more than what you're playing for. Curious, this, I, guess I, I guess I get it from Le'Veon Bell, but the way the NFL does its running backs now, kind of the time to, to lock in some money because we're in an era where they do not want running backs. And we'll flip back eventually. Eventually, fullbacks will be back. Our Dwayne Ford will be very happy when the fullbacks make their way back because football's cyclical. What's old is new again, but we are, we're getting rid of our running backs. And as special as Le'Veon Bell might be, is turning down 5-70 and 70 the worst decision he will ever make? A real question. Be open. I'm, I always want to call it the British Open. I have to catch myself because I don't. I, I wonder if golf people are going to just club me if I, I call it the British Open. The Open starts Thursday at Carnoustie. One of my proudest moments 
working at TSN, I was a writer at TSN way, way back in the day. I would write scripts for Dutchie, and Dutchie would make fun of me because uh, I deserved it. It was, it was my role. Dutchie's, Dutchie's a good guy. He, he, you know, he found your spot, and he picked on it because I deserved it. I remember I was the guy who did the highlight pack for the 1999 British Open at Carnoustie. Jean Vandeveld and the epic collapse as Mark Zucchino, the host of Golf Talk Canada, joins us. Uh, Mark, is, is anyone likely to jump into the burn this time around like Vandeveld did in 1999? Take the socks off, roll it up, and get in the burn? Yeah, the only difference is that this year it might be to hit their second shot uh, because it is so dry and so hard that we've had multiple players in the practice round actually drive it into the burn off the tee uh, in practice rounds, which is about 450 yards, which is absolutely insane. If you think about John Vandeveld had to hit uh, driver and then like a, a long iron, mid-iron. I think it was a long iron in, into his second shot back in 99. So who knows? We might see it, but uh, this is going to be a very different Carnoustie than we saw in 99 and also a different Carnoustie than we saw in 2007 as well. This is going to look like Hoy Lake in 2006. It is baked out. It is burnt. It is dry. It is brown. The forecast is, is just for more of the baked out and burned? No rain in the forecast? There may be a little uh, on a Friday that they're potentially forecasting right now, but there is certainly nowhere near enough rain that would actually change the way this golf course is going to play. It might change it for one or two hours of the broadcast of the tournament where there might be one side of the draw that gets some moisture, and maybe it takes a little fire out of the golf course for a short period of time, but not enough moisture, not enough water, to actually change how this is going to play over four days. This is going to be playing in a Walmart parking lot with flags at either end. So this could be absolutely crazy. So if I'm online and I find a prop bet for what will be the longest drive of the Open, what's, what, what do you think will be the longest drive? Are we talking fours? Yeah, you've got to be over four. For sure you're over four. And then the question becomes, I think like 440, 430, somewhere in there is kind of like the over-under number, um, and, which is just mind-boggling if you think about, about it. But certainly we're going to see multiple drives over 400 yards. Oh, boy. Jordan Spieth, the defending champion, he does not come in in the best form, let's say. What, do you, what are his prospects? Oh, we, still we still don't know if he's over the putting yips. And I know, you know, which is insane that we're talking this way, but we're talking about potentially the greatest major championship putter uh, of certainly this generation. The only player we've seen uh, maybe better in clutch situations with the putter, you know, in the last 30 years is Tiger Woods. That's how good George Spieth is with the flat stick. But the last two years, with the exception of a highlight here or there, one of which was the Open Championship, last four or five holes of the Open Championship last year where he managed to hold on to that claret jug, he's been fighting the yips, and we don't know if he's over it. We have no indication that he's been able to beat this because the only way you beat the yips is by getting it done in, in competition, by putting yourself there back in that situation, in that environment and making putts. We have not seen that yet. So a lot of question marks on Jordan Spieth. Uh, more question marks than, than really anything else, maybe more so than any other big-name player in the world. You know, the only other player that might come to mind is maybe Rory McIlroy uh, when it comes to, you know, a bit of a, of a head-scratching uh, season. But I, I would certainly say it's been more of a disappointment for Jordan Spieth. 
the good news is if he gets off to a good start and makes some putts early and, and gets off to a calm start, then you know maybe he can uh, get over that hump. Um, but it's been almost a lost year for Jordan Spieth, and he, he comes in as the defending champion, but obviously a uh, different venue, different golf course, so I don't know how much weight we can put into him as the defending champion right now. Yeah, he tied for third at the Masters, and he's missed actually back-to-back cuts. His best finish since then has been tied for 21st, so it's been a, a steep downhill for Jordan Spieth as of late. Talking to Mark Zucchino of Golf Talk Canada, the Golf Insider, brought to you by Subaru. Summer nights are made for Subaru with lease rates from 0.5% at your local Ontario Subaru dealer. Subaru, confidence in motion. How about Patrick Reed, fourth at the U.S. Open? He's beloved by everybody, so I'm sure the folks in Scotland will love him. Where do you where do you put Reed in the uh, in the running for this one? Well, you know, if if you look at Patrick Reed and, and his recent form in big events and major championships, uh, regardless of how you feel about him coming into this championship, you got to think that he's going to play well. Um, you know, he, he kind of seems to have reached that point in his career where he really is going to want that spotlight, and he kind of thrives in it a bit. Uh, Certainly this year's U.S. Open, he put his name back into the mix on Sunday on a golf course that was dry and fiery and, you know, about as close as an American setup as what you're going to see in terms of Lynx golf. So Patrick Reed, you know, proving that he can play well on dry and firm golf courses. So we're going to see something similar like that this week. So, you know, I wouldn't certainly count him out. I really think Europe's going to put their name on the board on this one. I think the Americans have dominated the majors and dominated really, you know, the top-end world of golf for, for quite some time now. And I think... This is going to be Europe's uh, major. I really see Europe bouncing back at this one. I like the Europeans um, to, to get one major this year, and I think this is it. But that's not to say that Americans won't contend. You know, we still got some great names up there. Dustin Johnson is the favorite at 12 to 1. Brooks Kepka coming off another U.S. Open win. Patrick Reed, as you mentioned. So it's not like America doesn't have great players that have an opportunity to win. I just think the Europeans are getting ready to peak at the right time. This is going to be as uh, much of a straightforward link setup as you'll ever find. And I just think it's time for Europe to maybe win a big one again. Uh, Mark, let me ask you. I've said on SportsCenter, uh, talking to my regular SportsCenter partner, Laura Dyke, and I, whenever we have Tiger Woods highlights, I get a little bit sarcastic. And I, 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 I've said a couple of times, he will not win a tournament. You can give me through the end of 2019, Tiger Woods will not win a tournament unless he goes to some satellite event. And I don't know. I don't even know where. I, am I right? Am I wrong? Where, where, where am I at? Where's Tiger at? Well, you know, there's so many unknowns, and I think this is so much more of a psychological battle than I believe it is a physical battle, which makes this comeback very different than the previous comebacks, that you can almost make an argument for either side. So, you know, I can totally buy into what you're saying and agree and agree with you, and you can make a very valid argument that way. And you could also make the argument that because he's healthy and because this is more a psychological thing than a physical thing, that... It, you know, he, he can win and it can happen soon and it could happen this week. In fact, from a major championship standpoint, just looking at the four majors, this is probably his best chance. 
He doesn't need to hit driver. So we know that what that means for Tiger when he doesn't need to hit a driver. The greens are going to be a little slower. So, the, you know, the fire is certainly out of the putting surface, uh, putting surfaces, which is completely different than the fairways in the setup where all the fire is. The last time we saw a British Open this dry and this hard, Tiger won. Now, keep in mind, that was 2006. <laughs> I think I was 15 that year. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. It's a, a bit ago. of a lifetime ago for sure, but... You know, he's made some equipment changes this week. He's got uh, a, a new driving iron iron in the bag that's two degrees strong. He's got a mallet putter. He's not going to hit a lot of drivers. So for me, though, this is all psychological. This is a guy who plays well when he's under the radar. And the minute he's got the spotlight or the heat of the battle or trying to get off to a, a ner- get off uh, away from a nervous start on a Thursday, he can't seem to do it, which is basically the complete opposite of how Tiger was for the first you know decade or so of his career, where yeah. there was not a better pressure athlete on the planet. You know, he made triple bogey his opening hole the U.S. Open from the center of the fairway on Thursday. That has nothing to do with mechanics and ball striking and everything to do with nerves and doubting yourself and making bad decisions uh, under pressure. He's, so, been, he's been driving me bonkers post-round. He's like, oh, it was great, but then, I, then uh, you know, I couldn't putt on 17 and 18, and that's how I lost. I'm like, yes, that's golf. It goes great for a while, and then two holes bite you in the butt. That's what everybody has at golf. That's why we're all terrible at golf because those two holes do it in you. So when he uses that as an excuse, I don't buy it because that's the problem with golf. Everybody has that. And players who win major championships play 72 holes. You know, ask Greg Norman how, yeah. many, majors, you know, how many majors would he have, right, if they were 54 holes deep. So yeah. uh, it's not an excuse. I agree with you. He needs to get out of his own way. He needs to just get off to a calm, normal start on Thursday. You can't win a golf tournament on Thursday. It's an old cliche, but you can lose it. And that's what Tiger's been doing because he's a bundle of nerves. Just get off to a normal start put positive yardage on the ground on Thursday and see if you can just kind of let this tournament flow and see if it comes to you. Uh, He forces it early on Thursday because of nerves and doubt, shoots himself in the foot, and is never part of the storyline. That's what we're watching on Thursday. He needs four girlfriends again. He was never better than when he was juggling four (laughs) girlfriends. That's the way to go. Mark Zucchino, the host of Golf Talk Canada. We will be listening and we'll be enjoying the Open as well. Thank you so much, Mark. Appreciate your time. Hey, thanks. Anytime. Uh, Yeah, Tiger. Never better than when he was juggling four gals. It, I don't know if it was the juggling of four gals, if that kept him on his, but man, it was pretty great. Toronto today, Andy McNamara coming up on the Scott MacArthur Show. I'm Derek Taylor. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm back tomorrow for plenty more sweet football talk and golf as well. It's Toronto today on TSN 1050.